we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. Your story is God's story. And today we get Molly Martin. It's actually Molly Fredericksmeyer, but she'll always be Molly Martin in my phone. Molly, tell us a little bit about how you first came to Ascent. Yeah, I came to Ascent fall of 2016. I went to CU Boulder. I was a freshman. Didn't really go to church very often. Wasn't really expecting to come to church or find faith, um, but I wanted friends at CU, so I, I followed one of my friends to a campus Bible study, and some of the people that I met there and my leaders, they all went to Ascent, and they were like, great, we'll pick you up on Sunday. We'll take you to our church, and I was like, you go every Sunday? Like, that's crazy. Um, so this had to be a foreign environment for you. Yeah, yeah, it was. We would go on like Christmas and Easter and that kind of things, but in terms of myself deciding I'll go to church, that was completely foreign. That and yet this was, was the beginning no of your faith, right? This that is was. The, the start of your faith? Yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah, it, I, yeah, I think I was always just very curious um, about faith. I didn't really have an outlet to discover Jesus or who he was or who he could be in my life. And, and that ministry was a huge part of that. I, I remember hearing people talk about Jesus like they knew him. Um, mm. And that stood out to me. That was new to me. And the people that I met there just really brought me in, um, always invited me to things. And so it, it was gradual, my faith of just community, going to church, learning, figuring out what people were saying, if I agreed with it, if I didn't. Um, but yeah, so it was just slow. And then- So then, so then um, you, as you're starting to put those pieces together, your story is a little different than other people's story. Yeah. Your story is a little bit more of you had to let things go and it got harder instead of a lot of people say, oh, it's easier at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I grew up, I had a really great childhood, loving family. Um, so it seemed like my life was just great. And then it seemed like, oh, Jesus is gonna make it even greater. That's kind of what I thought. And then I learned very quickly that Jesus, if you say yes to him, he doesn't just want those pretty parts of you. Mm. Um, he wants he wants the ugly, he wants the things that you don't even know yourself. And so a lot of my start to faith was just him kind of excavating those parts of me that I didn't want to give anyone, I didn't want to tell anyone. And a lot of that, it was just confusing and it brought a lot of questions and it brought a lot of like confusion of saying, this should be easy, why does, this feel so confusing, but also feel good at the same time. Yeah. I think I struggled with that for probably the first year or two of my faith of saying like, okay, Jesus, if you want all of me, what, is, what does that look like? So he took out the excavator, like you said, Yeah. kind of exposed all of the things that, that you've carried all along. Yeah. You started putting the pieces together and your journey over these last four or five years has been kind of, okay, let's take what Jesus has dug up. And yeah. what's, th what's that been like over these last few years? Yeah, I think at first, when I graduated college, as most people that graduate college do, I thought I knew who I was. I thought I knew what I was gonna do. I thought I knew who Jesus was in my life. And like, it was so concrete. And then life happens again. And, and that those things start to fall away and what you built up, the things that aren't gonna last, um, Jesus asks you to hmm. pull apart again and then put back together. And so a lot of that was forming it, thinking I knew 
everything and yeah. then breaking that apart again and letting Jesus into different parts of my heart, letting him teach me more and more and, and learning to be okay with that mm. process too. Oh, that's um, so good. Yeah. You're now working a ton with high school and middle schoolers. Lots of them know your name. Um, lots of them know your story. You know their stories. Yeah. What have you, how have you been walking with them as, as they're trying to put their journey together? Yeah, what I think that I love about middle school and high school is just the questions that they have are the exact same ones I have now. And, and to hold that space for them of saying your questions are okay, your doubts that you have are okay, and Jesus is good too. And how do you hold that Jesus is good, that he's there and hold space for, he, he's not intimidated by your questions. He cares about them and he wants to continue walking with them. I, that's one of my favorite parts of my job is just to say, I'm there with you and let's go do this together. Uh, and what I love about working with you is that you have a lot of questions and you've mm -hmm. brought those up and yet you, you say, okay, I see Jesus and then I see all the questions too. And, mm -hmm. and, you, and while you model that for them, it helps them to say, it's okay to have the questions as we see Jesus in this. Yeah. Man, your story is God's story. I so appreciate the honesty, Molly. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Bill Stevens. I'm the lead pastor here. It is so good to have you guys here. I love Molly's story, you guys. I just love it that um, she gives us permission to ask the questions, and, and she walks with our high school and middle school students to ask the questions. You know, when I was growing up Catholic, I, uh, I sat down with my parents one day in high school or maybe in college, and, and I had all kinds of questions. And then my mom went to the, her priest and said, what do we do about this guy, about my son? He's no longer going to the Catholic church. And, and the priest gave great advice. He says, so long as he's asking questions, that's, that's a faith that can grow. And I just thought, what great advice that he gave my mom. And, and that's what we want to give for all of you. And Molly gives it every single day that she works with our high school and middle school students. She gives them that permission. So we love that. Well, welcome here, you guys. Um, I, I, for you that are new, it is really fun to have you here. I love it that you get to listen to, to Ross leading our worship team. Ross and I were, um, were playing golf in about 2011 or so. And we said, what would it be like if, we, if a church was started around here? And, and that was the very beginning of the conversation that led to Jim and I starting Ascent Church and, and Ross was the very first uh, worship director, worship leader on that first Sunday at the Omni Hotel in 2013. We're going to be celebrating our 10 year anniversary of Ascent coming up. It's like in, it's December of this year. So next month is, is the is 10 year anniversary of, of Ascent getting started. So I love it that Ross gets to be up here. Um, you know, I got to say something before we get started. You guys last week, well done on the Thanksgiving baskets. We did Thanksgiving baskets for tons of families. Families that, are, that were, are in need in our community that are identified by Boulder Valley School District as, as families in need. You guys packed all kinds of boxes with, with Thanksgiving stuff. And this Thursday, families will be sitting down to even need a nice big Thanksgiving meals because you guys responded. And like Mo said, that's being for the good of our city. We're so thankful that you guys did that. Now, get ready though. Get ready. Buckle up. Because this is the great toy multiplication season, okay? This is the time where if you are new and you have not been around this whole year, or this is the year that you first got started here at Ascent, this is the beginning of our Christmas shop season. And man, it is, is the most stressful time of the year and the most fun time of the year for us as a church when it comes to this. You guys, we opened up the signups for the Christmas shop this, this last week. We basically, because families now sign up to come and we opened it up for people to sign up within six hours. 
Hundreds of families signed up representing 2,200 kids. In six hours, we had to cut it off at that point saying, okay, let's see what we can do. 2,200 kids. You guys, it's presented right in front of us. That's the need. And so now what do we got to do to respond to that need? This is where we all rally together. This is where you just go, okay, after church today, run over to Target and see what you can get and bring it on back here. It's Good Friday coming up this Friday. Just jump to, to go to a, a, a store and, and buy whatever you can. This is a Cyber Monday. And, and we have all the information on the website on how you can just order it from the wish list and just have it sent directly to here. This is where you as a, as a family just say, let's go in the neighborhood. And, and get some people involved. This is where you guys as a business would get your business involved. I know the Orlandos are going to get started again this year like they always do. Hopefully you guys will. You still going to do it? They're going to, they're, as a chiropractor, they just say we're going to let everyone that comes in, they're going to, they're going to pay for their chiropractic appointment by giving a, giving a gift. This is where all of us jump in together to meet a really big need. It's also a time where you start thinking about, do I want to help actually during the shop? And, 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 you know, that you'd be here and you'd wrap presents and you'd work with the police department and everything that's, that's going on with, with actually giving people those gifts, you guys. This is where if you speak Spanish, Man, there is an absolute need for you. A lot of our families speak Spanish that come in here. And if you speak Spanish, that would be a really big help to be able to, to, to speak to people and help them walk through the shop. It is the time of the year, you guys. So let's rally together and make it happen. 2,200 kids, let's get them gifts, okay? That is being for the good of our city. That's what we need to do, okay? All right, let's get started with this, this, with this sermon. Like, like Mo said, we're in a, in a series. Your story is God's story and God's story is your story. I love that because sometimes we, in our life, we, sit, we, we walk around going, well, yeah, I've got a story, but gosh, with the, the doubt that I have, I don't know if that's really God's story. As if God can't work with our doubt. He's going, come on, I'm bursting wanting to share this story that, that between the two of us and you're going to hold it back because you've got some doubt? You might say, man, I don't, I, I, yeah, I got a story, but I am so broken. I've made so many mistakes. And that's where Mo came in a couple weeks ago and go, come on. This is where God's grace comes in and tells a great story of his grace in the midst of our brokenness. Some of you might feel like you're inadequate or you might feel like you're, 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 well, somebody else is far more important than me. And Aisha came in last week and is going, are you kidding me? God's going, there isn't anybody that's any less important than anybody else. And I've got a story to tell for every one of you. Even those of you, I love what Aisha said, where she said, it's that background actor that doesn't get to hear, use their voice. And God's saying, man, I want to hear your voice and I want to use you and I want to use your story and your story is my story. Well, last week when Aisha was about to preach, she, um, she, she the, like a half hour beforehand, she said, Bill, I don't know if I'm gonna make it because she had food poisoning. And so she was, she was worried that she might throw up up here. And there was a part of me that thought that would be memorable. It would be if she did, you know, we'd remember. And, and so, no, I wasn't rooting for her to throw up, but I thought that could be memorable. Uh, and, so, and so I said, Aisha, I've got you. If you need me, I, I've, I'm gonna, I'm a, I'll prepare something for, for everybody. And so I went to the back through the curtains and now there's nothing back there anymore. So there's plenty of room to wander. And I wandered back in that back just going, Lord, what is it 
What, what, what would you want me to share in this half hour in preparing a, a talk for, for everybody? What would you want me to share? What's going on in the seats? And I felt like what God was leaning me towards was I've, I've just heard so many people tell their story and, and my story too, where they can't get past their own cynicism. They can't get past their own skepticism. They can't get past their own pessimism to be able to, to recognize God at work in their story. That, that their, their, their cynicism over stuff that's happening in the world or stuff that's happening in their family or stuff that's happening in the church or wherever or in their faith, it, I, I just, I don't see it with a hope. See, there's the, the, if we look at cynicism is, is, is kind of resting in our disappointment, then hope is, is I, I'm hoping for something else. And you're just going, there's, there's th those two things are, are opposites. And so if, if I walk without hope, then do I even have a story that's God's story? Well, today I wanna to talk a little bit about that. A, a, a subject that holds us back from seeing, that blinds us from seeing God's story at work. Let's talk through that and let's help. I want us to, to get to a point where we can go, you know what, even in the midst of those things, I can see God's story at work. So let's pray together and we'll dig into this. Father, I, I pray that you would, would speak to us today of a subject I think many of us deal with, some of us more drastic than others, but all of us deal with this. And so I pray that you would speak to us about it because I know you have a story that's, that's, that you're bursting wanting to tell us this story. They want to speak about what you're doing in our lives. And so, God, if there's something that's blocking that, help us to see it, recognize it, and, and address it so that, so that we can see you at work. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, cynicism, you guys, I feel like I'm an expert at this um, only because I'm a, I'm a Seattle sports fan. Um, it, as a Seattle sports fan, you learn to be cynical of all of the, the teams that you root for. I was a huge Seattle Supersonics fan. You guys don't even know who the Seattle Supersonics are because, because they lost a couple of seasons and their owners decided to pull them away from Seattle and move them to Oklahoma City. I hate Oklahoma City, all, all about the Thunder because the Thunder took our Sonics and we loved the Sonics. So we're just cynical of all basketball, okay? So the, the, the Mariners, you guys, the Seattle Mariners are setting a record for the longest, they're, they're, I think... They might be the, the, the team, the only team in the major leagues that has never made it to the World Series. They started in 1977 and they've never made it to the World Series. And every single year as a Mariner fan, we have to watch, even when they get close, they finally made it to the playoffs after a 20-year drought and they lost in a sweep in the first round to the Houston Cheaters. Um, and... and <laughs> I did that for you. I did that for you. Um, and, 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 so, and, and so we're cynical every time the Mariners have a chance. And you guys, the Seahawks. The Seahawks have actually had some success. They even won a Super Bowl against, I can't remember. They won it against somebody. Um, but they came back the next year and of course are now known as the team with the most, no, most notorious, horrible play call of all time. This one. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. I'm going to play it out. Play it out. Fourth quarter, 20 seconds to go. Super Bowl. The phenomenal play that wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for celebration. Amazing. Yeah. 
Butler, a rookie free agent out of West Alabama. They try to pick play out. They tried to go here, but he beats him to the punch. And I'm sorry, but I can't believe the call. Me neither. I cannot believe the call. You've got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. You've got a guy that's been borderline unstoppable in this part of the field. I can't believe the call. That's enough. That's enough right there, just seeing that. That's enough. I can't believe the call. The only time Chris Collinsworth has ever been accurate about any of his announcing, and it's, I can't believe the call. And for 10 years, Seattle Seahawks fans have had to deal with, I can't believe the call. And we've come up with every excuse why we didn't hand the ball off to the beast, Marshawn Lynch, and we cannot, I mean, we, we come up with it, and it's still, we're just stupid because we're Seahawks, and see, we're cynical. We're all, we're cynical. Uh, I'm wearing my Husky shirt. We're 11 and 0. We're thinking about the national championship. We're going to lose next week to the Cougs. We're going to lose next week to the Washington State Cougars. They stink, and we're going to lose to them because we're cynical. We, it, here's the deal. If you ever watch me, and watch me um, um, watching football now, every time a good play happens, I always say, where's the flag? Where's the flag? Where's the flag? A good play happens, and all I'm looking for is the yellow on the box. Where's the flag? Where's the flag? That's all I ever say. You guys, in our life, we're always, uh, many of us that know the cynicism of life, we're always saying, where's the flag? We, it, something might be good happening with your kids and you go, but, yeah, but where's the flag? It's gonna, it's gonna turn. Something's happened in our marriage, where's the flag? Something's happened in our business, where's the flag? Something's happened in our finances, we get something good. Our cynicism says, where's the flag? Our church, our faith. Many of us live in this space of cynicism and pessimism and, and disappointment and, and, and we just, we're just looking for when it's gonna turn sour. Why do we do it? No one ever sets out to be cynical. I think I'd like to be cynical today. No one ever does that. Why do we do it? I think in a lot of ways we do it to protect ourselves. We, 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 because if the opposite of cynicism is hope, then if we're hoping in something, then we can be disappointed if that doesn't happen. And so we'd rather just live in, the, in a place where we're going, I'm gonna be disappointed anyway. And so we just live here. If you've, if you struggled with love and you haven't found love or, 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 you know, maybe it ended in marriage and that, that ended in a divorce and now you're trying to find love again, you might go, I've already been disappointed. I don't want to be disappointed again. I don't want to have hope. And so we live in this place of disappointment out of protection. The greatest movie of all time, Shawshank Redemption, followed closely by Rocky Three, But Shawshank Redemption is, is the greatest movie of all time. And it was 30 years ago. And, and there's this scene in it that's super powerful. It's when, it's when Red, played by Morgan Freeman, is talking to Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins. And the two of them are in, in prison and they're having a conversation. And, and, and the, Tim Robbins starts talking about hope. And Red says to him, and he says, be careful with that. Hope's a dangerous thing, especially in a place like this. And, it's, and, and at the time, it's like, that's too profound for me to think about. But now you, later on, you actually think about that and you go, what is he saying? He's saying, man, especially in a place like this, if you find that you are hoping for something, you will be disappointed. And if you're gonna be disappointed, it's better off not to hope at all. It's better to just stay disappointed. And, and, and so we protect ourselves from hope. Isn't that, isn't that strange that if hope is a characteristic of God, 
we're protecting ourselves from the very thing that can give us hope. That's this, that's this life that we have where cynicism, pessimism, skepticism, all of those things are, are, can win from a lot of our disappointments that we protect ourselves from being de- disappointed again. Well, let's look at some scripture, you guys. Let's look at what, what, what does God have to say about this? So I want to I look first at an Old Testament passage, and then we'll look at a New Testament passage. The Old Testament passage is, is out of Ecclesiastes, okay? Solomon. So, most theologians believe Solomon's the one that wrote, that wrote Ecclesiastes. Solomon's a king. Solomon's got it all. He's got all the money in the world. The splendor of Solomon is the way the Bible talks about him. The splendor of Solomon. He's got everything. But man, is this man cynical, in, in, it start, in Ephesians 2 and 3, first he, he's, he just quotes the Beatles and he says, you know, there's a time for love and a time for hate and a time for war and a time for peace. So, so he's quoting John Lennon to begin with. And then he gets to chapter 3. I think that Ecclesiastes was written about 1975 and the Beatles were in the 60s. So that would be that way. In chapter 3, he says this. This is after all that. He goes, tell me, tell me if this sounds cynical to you. Humans and animals come to the same end. Humans die, animals die. We all breathe the same air, so there's no real advantage in being human. None. Everything's smoke. We all end up in the same place. We came from dust. We all end up as dust. Any of you guys heard that? From dust to dust. Nobody knows for sure that the human spirit rises to heaven or that the animal spirit sinks into the earth. So I made up my mind that there's nothing better for us men and women than to have a good time in whatever we do. That's our lot. Who knows if there's anything else to life? That's the great college ministry passage. So uh, where I had to convince them, this is just a cynicism. This isn't your mandate, okay? Because I think a lot of college students wanted when all those years that I was doing it to to just say, yeah, that's our lot. Let's just live and have fun and do whatever. That's a cynical person. That's a person even with all the great stuff in his life is saying, ah, it's just meaningless. There's there's nothing to it. and, And I'd rather just live in that place of disappointment. But at the end of Ecclesiastes, he changes it. At the end, he says, but you know what? I got to admit, God is God and I am not. And he introduces us to, uh, to the word hope, but it's an Old Testament word for hope. It's a Hebrew word for hope. It's, the word is yakel or yakel. Yakel is, is, is a word that, that really just means weight, and so here's, here's, uh, the, here's Solomon writing in Ecclesiastes that all these things feel this way, but just wait, we got to wait on the Lord. And I love that. I mean, that is a great discipline for us in our life is for us to learn how to wait and to trust in the waiting. But as many of you know that is, have been waiting on something, a lot of times the longer we wait, the more that it's on, not on our, on our timing, and the, I mean, it's the, where, it's, where we're just going, why isn't this happening when it should happen, that, all, that we start to get what? We start to get skeptical. We start to get cynical. We start to get pessimistic. Our, in our waiting, in our yakel, we're, we're just becoming more cynical. I think this is why many people struggle with prayer because, because we pray and we wait and when something doesn't happen, we are disappointed. 
And when we're disappointed, we're going, I don't want to pray again and just be disappointed again. And so instead, I'll just live in my cynicism about the power of prayer. Isn't that the case for many people? You just go, I don't want to do it because I'll be disappointed again. And so what do we do? Okay, so, so he's saying we got to wait and yet, yet our, our struggle builds and our cynicism builds. Well, let's go to the New Testament passage because I think that we, God's got some, some, uh, something to say about it, okay? In the New Testament, I want to look at a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the head of the Jewish ruling council. He was the head of the Sanhedrin, okay? So here you have the Jewish people. And then from the Jewish people, you have the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the people that were doing their very best to live to all the laws and the rules of the Old Testament because they knew if you didn't live to the laws and the rules, you would be punished by God. And so that, at least that's their, that was their thought. And so the Pharisees were trying to hold everybody to those rules and even making up more rules to help make sure that you stay to those rules, okay? And so that's the Pharisees. And they would walk around with the answers. They tell you, this is what you need to know and what you need to believe. That's the Pharisees. They were the powerful ones. From the Pharisees, it was the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, the 72 people of the 72 Pharisees that were the leaders of the Pharisees that led the people, okay? The Sanhedrin were the most powerful. They'd wear certain robes. They would look a certain way so that the people around them go, that's someone from the Sanhedrin. Those are the ones that are the scariest. They're the ones that'll let me know what I'm doing wrong. That was the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus was a leader within the Sanhedrin, okay? And so Nicodemus is part of that group that Jesus comes onto the scene and they're standing there with their arms crossed going, man, no way. That is not the person that we've been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for. No way is that the Messiah. He's breaking rules. He's healing people on a Sunday, on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. He's breaking rules. There's no way. Anytime Jesus would do something, man, they, their skepticism grew. Their cynicism grew. This is not the guy. They'd stand there and just watch it all happening. And the more Jesus would do, the more they'd get frustrated. The more they get frustrated, the more cynical they became of who Jesus was. They're standing there frustrated watching it all. Nicodemus, though, is standing there and he's going, dang it. That was pretty impressive. When he changed that water into wine at that wedding in Cana, something there. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. The love that he started sharing with other people, man, there's something there. When he's, when he's healing a leper, oh gosh, what do you do about that? And so now all of a sudden his skepticism became a curiousness for something more. What? Who is this guy? In that, that cynical place, he could have just hung out with his cronies and talked to them about it all and said, what do you think? What do you think? But instead he wanted to go to the source. And so he went to Jesus. And it says he went to him at night. And so he walked up to the, it, through Jerusalem, through the, the dark roads of Jerusalem at night. And I love how John says he came at night because it's telling him, man, this was a risky thing that he did. He doesn't want his friends to see him. He doesn't want anybody to see him. So he sneaks through Jerusalem at night and he comes up to the door of Jesus. 
Now, before I knock on this door to see that what the, the source on the other side, I want us to recognize this is where a lot of us live. We live in this place of, of cynicism when it comes to family and friends and job and, 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 and faith and church and leadership and in the world, in the, in, the, in the country. We live in this place of this cynicism. And a lot of times we'll end up choosing to live in this place of cynicism. You see it in all kinds of stuff. The, the Harvard Business Review talked about cynicism even in the workplace. Listen to, what he, listen to what it says. I love this. He says, when looking at burnout, cynicism is the most powerful predictor of employees' intention to quit. And really, it's no wonder when cynicism steals your motivation and prevents you from seeing a path to improvement, it's much easier to give up than try to change your work environment. Indeed, the loss of happy, highly engaged, and deeply motivated employees either to quitting or to underperformance is one of the most tragic consequences of workplace cynicism. What I love about that quote is that's not just in the workplace. You just, he just described cynicism across all things. It, it, when cynicism steals your motivation and prevents you from seeing your path to improvement. When you're cynical about your marriage, you feel like it's going nowhere, that cynicism steals your motivation to try to fix it, to go get therapy, to walk with, pe with other people about it, through it, and prevents you to see, even see a path towards that getting any better. When your cynicism is, is, is in your church or in the church, it's, it, we lose any motivation to see it change. And, and, and we don't even see a path for improvement. And so we either quit or we underperform. We just say, ah, I'm kind of engaged, but kind of not. That's our life in, in, in this cynical place. We don't quit on our kids, but man, we can underperform. We might not quit in our job, but we can underperform in the midst of that cynicism. And, and if you think that's just me and that's not affecting anybody else, there's something else that's said here in this Harvard review. This is so interesting. Cynicism can also spread rapidly through teams and organizations through a phenomenon known as emotional contagion. Employees are more likely to pick up, take on, and echo the negative, critical attitudes of close coworkers, leaving everyone more stressed, less effective, and more vulnerable to burnout. Do we recognize that? I know that sounds creepy almost, like it's some sort of uh, parasite, but it's this emotional contagion. Then as you are sharing your cynicism with somebody else, it's just they catch on to it as well. And, and, and in your family, your cynicism can lead to stress like the less effective and vulnerable to burnout. It can lead everybody else in your family towards that. We see that in the church. A very cynical person will sit in a small group and they'll come to him, come to everybody else going, do you believe what that person set up in front? Do you believe what we're doing as a church? Do you believe what, you know, they'll say something that's very cynical and, and rally, build the bonfire, have other people warm their hands around it. And the next thing you know, other people going, yeah, that's a good point. And what about this? And what about this? And the next thing you know, that small group has now been an emotional contagion. And in the end, we're more stressed, less effective and more ready to quit and get, to get, and get out of there. Man, that's what can happen 
That's the emotional contagion of this and then it affects everybody around us. Nicodemus could have been that with the rest of the Sanhedrin. Could have just stayed there. But instead he's going, I gotta go to the source. I can't keep hiding. I can't keep worrying about this. I gotta go to the source. And so he comes to the door and he knocks on the door and Jesus answers. Now, some of you guys see Jesus as, as, as well, it's, I'm waiting on Nicodemus. It's about time he's arrived. You know, and you see him that way. I don't see Jesus that way. I see Jesus as fully human, fully God, where I see Jesus going, who in the heck is knocking on my door this time of night? You know, and he comes and answers me going, now that's someone I didn't expect. You know, I'd open the door, but the door won't open. It's, it's locked shut. So, um, so, but he answers the door and he sees Nicodemus. And you know what he says to him? Would you come back at a proper hour? No, he doesn't do that either. He comes back to him and he says, come on in. Let's have a conversation. Hear that. Hear that. In the midst of whatever you're going through right now, whether it's this stuff that I'm talking about or anything else, right now, Jesus invites you into a conversation. Let's just talk about this together. And so he sat with Nicodemus and he had a conversation. This is what they talked about. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. He's saying, I've seen all the things. There's something about you. I get that. There's something about, I love how honest Nicodemus is in this conversation. There's something about you. Jesus answered him, Nicodemus, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, Nicodemus' response, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can he enter a second time into your mother's womb and be born? Is that not his cynicism just coming right back out? Come on, born again? You want me to jump back into my mom's womb? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, and I just love how patient he is. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What's born of the flesh is flesh and what's born of the spirit is spirit. He's saying something more is going to happen with you, Nicodemus. Something greater than what you're seeing on the surface. I got some work I want to do with you on all levels. Soul, mind, heart, all levels. Something's going to happen. Don't be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. Oh, wait, did I say that part already? Yeah, yeah. For God so loved the world. This is what he says to him. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now get ready because that's hope. Here comes hope. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn you and your skepticism, you and your pessimism, you and your cynicism. He didn't come to condemn that. But in order that the world might be saved through him. See, what, what, what he does is, is Jesus reorders. He reorders things when we go to sit with him. 
When all we ever think about is the disappointments in this world, the disappointments in this country, the disappointments in this church, the disappointments in, this, in our business, the disappointments in our faith, the disappointments in our family, the disappointments with our children, and all we are focused on there, Jesus reorders it. Sit with me. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, I know you have focused on a a, a Messiah that would come from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You guys have been waiting for a Messiah. I'm right here. He's saying, I know you've been looking at all the things that you do wrong and how you're so fearful of what God's going to do to you when you do wrong. Can I tell you about love? And he's reordering all of the things that that Nicodemus sees as cynical. He's reordering those and saying, let's put it through the lens of you and me right here. And he introduces them to that love. He introduces them to that grace. He introduces them to that peace. He introduces them to that hope. See, the New Testament word for hope in Greek is a word called elpis. And that word is an assurance and an anticipation. And so Jesus is now sitting with Nicodemus and he's going, the more you are assured that the person you're sitting with is the son of God that has all the power in the world to walk with you through every one of those things, the more you are assured of that, you can have an anticipation in your life in all of those things, you can have an anticipation that I will walk with you. The more you're assured that I am the Messiah and the Son of God that you can put your weight down on, the more you will see the hope that I give you in the things around you. That's what he was was talking about. He redefined hope for these guys. And what he said, you guys, is he's going, and that hope that I give you through the assurance that it's me, that hope, It won't disappoint. That hope won't disappoint. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter five. He says, we also celebrate in our tribulations, all those things. This is a different perspective than cynicism. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, that Greek word upomeno, hang in there. It produces in you a hang in there. And that hang in there produces a character in you that other people begin to see as you're leaning into this. And that character leads to a hope, an assurance, an anticipation. And that hope does not disappoint. Why doesn't that hope disappoint? Because four verses earlier, it says, because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we have peace. That's why that hope does not disappoint. The hope doesn't disappoint because we have been reoriented. Our compass is set at due north and we sit with love and we sit with peace and we sit with hope. What we get to see in Nicodemus' story, and this is why I love it so much, is we get to see the rest of the story. John just is so captured by it because he's the only one of the four people that wrote about the life of Jesus that writes about Nicodemus. That we have that conversation where he had it with Jesus. And then Nicodemus, then in chapter seven, he's at the Sanhedrin's arguing over, this can't be the Messiah. He's not from, from, from Bethlehem. He's not from the city of David. Even though he was, they didn't think he was. They thought he was from Galilee. And they're going, this cannot be the Messiah. And Nicodemus stands up to all of his guys and says, shouldn't we give him the benefit of the doubt, you guys? Shouldn't we listen to him? 
you can see assurance start to happen and this is the guy. And then in chapter 19, Jesus dies on the cross and he's on that cross that late afternoon and two people ask for permission to go get him off the cross. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes up to that cross and doesn't worry one bit about what anybody's thinking. Doesn't worry about the rest of his guys in the Sanhedrin or the rest of the Pharisees or anybody else. In what was more than likely the same robe that he came to Jesus late at night in, he's now getting blood on it because he's taken Jesus off the cross. And there's an assurance and there's an anticipation and there's a hope. It's not a cynicism. It's a hope. And three days later, when Jesus rises from the grave, we don't get to see Nicodemus's response to that. But you got to believe he's like, yeah, I've been assured of that since that night at his house when I sat in a conversation with him. Many of you guys know that um, Jackie and I have walked through lots of stuff and we've told you guys all of it over the last couple of years with, after the fire. And, and I told you guys that, um, that, that we, the house was rebuilt and that we were going to try to sell it to make up the couple hundred thousand that we lost um, from the difference in insurance and how much it costs. And so we were going to sell it. And so we put it on the market and it was on the market for 90 some days. And you know, it's the worst housing market in Colorado since 1974. And my cynicism was pretty high. I'm sitting here and it was time for us to move out of our rental and move into the place this last week. And so we did that. Jackie blew out her knee. And so, so more of the cynicism of what else? What else? And so I'm sitting feeling sorry for myself. People would ask me, isn't it fun to be back in your house? And I'd say, no, actually, it's kind of discouraging. My brother comes into town, my twin brother. Some of you guys saw him last week and thought he was me. Um, he comes into town. And in only uh, the way a brother, and especially the way a twin brother can do it, he got in my face. <laughs> Said, you've got a house, Bill. And he didn't do it that gently. <laughs> and so I received that. And then more than anything, I'm sitting there with my daughter in the new house with boxes all around us. And she's sensing this. The, the emotional uh, contagion is there. And she says, Dad, this is going to be a good home. I want to be the one saying that to her, but she's saying it to me. And, it, and, it, and, it, and I thought about this talk and I thought, I got to do a walk to the door. In my cynicism, in my disappointment, in my frustration, in my skepticism, in my pessimism, in my looking for the flag, I got to walk to the door. I got to sit and be reminded of a love and a grace and a joy and a peace. And I got to, remind, I got to be reminded of a hope, an assurance that he walks with us through all of this stuff. When you're in the heart of that, we have the choice. We can sit in this out of defensiveness. We can sit in this out of a, out of a, I'm, a I'm protecting myself. 
But is that working? In that cynical place that we're in, is that working? Or do we go to the door where we go, oh, this is the truth. And this is where I find peace. If you're in that space, sneak away, knock on the door and discover who Jesus is on the other side. And that's a story, that's God's story that's worth telling as he meets us in that stuff. The last scene in Shawshank from 30 years ago, if you hadn't seen it, is Red leaving prison, driving in on a bus towards Mexico because he wants to go see his friend Andy Dufresne. And as he's driving, as he's on that bus, he's narrating and only the way Morgan Freeman can do it, he says, I hope to see the blue ocean. And the last words are, I hope. Man, I hope that's the last words that I say. I don't, wanna, I don't want this to be my life. I want my last words to say with great anticipation and with great assurance, I hope. Father, we pray that you would, would meet us on this side. Some of us won't be courageous enough to even go to the door. Meet us on this side. And I know you do. And you escort us right to the door. You escort us to the conversation. You escort us to that love. And you escort us to that peace. And you escort us to that mercy. You escort us to that story. God, may your story of hope and grace, may that just, just pour off of us. May it be a new emotional contagion of beauty and joy because you walk with us in the midst of the things that we can get so cynical with. And, and God, when we're protective of ourselves and we're afraid of the disappointment, will we step towards you? Because God, will you tell us your hope does not disappoint. God, we pray that you would speak to us, walk with us, tenderly hold us as we try to release that and step into your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.